I don't have a joined by the man some call. Dang. All right, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Ooh, I think I have one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 262 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast, or episode 3 of 2020. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man, some call the guy very happy to be having a hangover at home, Chris Roche. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Now, some little birdie told me that. Is that, is that true? Yeah, I've discovered a new IPA I really like. Uh, it's called uh, Humalupalicious. Wow. Uh, it's, it's quite strong. And uh, if you have a few of those, you do feel the effects. And um, <laughs> fortunately, I'm working from home, so I was able to nurse myself back to a full recovery this morning. Now, what is the English definition of a few? Is that like 17, <laughs> 31? I feel like it's a prime number, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, those sort of quantities are maybe in, in my past more than my future. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't need quite so many anymore to get a buzz. Um, yeah, Fair definitely point. less than 13 that's going up. Ah, definitely less than 13. So 12 and a half. We are here to talk about real, actual, legitimate, honest-to-goodness racing. It happened. Praise be, hey, what a joy it's been. No crowds, who cares? It's racing, and it's been pretty entertaining. Well, I have to tell you, no crowds in the stands, yes, but I think that, you know, I, I can only imagine that viewership is as high as ever. Well, Nico Rosberg was watching yesterday. Yeah, I did see that. <laughs> I definitely did see that. That was, I don't know, what's the right word for that? Adorable? Well, I was going to go with sad, but there you go. You know, he was he was enthusiastic about it. I don't know if there's much else to say than that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird look, a single person watching the race, uh, you know, because I think there's a few times we saw the highlights. It uh, didn't really add much for me, but uh, I didn't. I was abused to see Nico watching. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot has happened since you and I have last spoken. Um, there was some more dire news. Um, about Williams and what they're going through, and then the big news about Sebastian Vettel, and then there's big news about Fernando Alonso. But now that racing has happened, I feel like we, we, we have to start with the racing. If you want to just quickly sum up the three events, Mercedes seems to be as strong as ever. Yeah, it's 3-0 to Mercedes, 2-1 to Hamilton over Botas. <laughs> Uh, normal service has been resumed. But uh, but the races have actually been pretty entertaining, especially the midfield. We've got a really interesting midfield battle with uh, Racing Point, the pink Mercedes. Uh, actually, the, the funniest name I heard the other day was Tracing Point, which I thought was pretty clever. Um, it, you know, racing are basically a 2019 Merck. Uh, being very quick, Ferrari in disarray, Red Bull up and down, uh, McLaren and Renault sort of in there in the mix too. We've had Williams's in Q2. Who would have thought? Yeah. And uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been fun. Um, and you know, Mercedes have been pushed at times, um, and so it's been uh, it's been pretty good value, I think. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I've I've found uh, the Austrian races, especially were quite entertaining, uh, both the Austrian and the Styrian Grand Prix, Grand Prix, <laughs> excuse me, and uh, but also uh, we were thrown th quite a few curveballs uh, in qualifying that uh, kept things interesting and indeed uh, helped improve the racing as well. You know, I, I think one standout for me was, I believe. I'm trying to think if it was the Styrian Grand Prix or the Hungarian Grand Prix where George Russell put the Williams, I think it was 12th on the starting grid. Well, that's his new spot. He was 12th in Styria, 12th in Hungary. And in Styria, he was aided by the, the moisture. Um, but in Hungary, it was a genuine dry lap that got him 12th place. 
Absolutely um, impressive. I mean, unfortunately, just... his racecraft has not really followed up on his qualifying, but uh, I think he's got a bit excited <laughs> at the sharper end of the grid. But, yeah, there's uh, been moments, uh, absolutely, but uh, you you still just you just can't discount the car. The Williams car does seem to have some life. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, thank goodness for that. But uh, I mean, even Latifi was up there in exactly. the race in Hungary. But again, I mean, Russell was on it, and he was. He was impressive in terms of how much he was extracting from that Williams car. And I was just I was just double down, over the moon excited that he was able to uh, deliver Williams um, some genuine mid-pack running, um, even if it was only briefly, and but also start to pull that pull that uh, team out of, you know, bottom of the barrel status. I mean, you know, without trying to put a downer on this conversation early in the podcast, I, I mean, the fact that Ferrari clearly were running illegal engines last year, and now now they're, you know, following the rules, we've got six cars on the grid that have had a massive uh, performance degradation, uh, you know, downgrade. I mean, Alfa Romeo and Haas uh, are really quite slow. And I think that's helping us to understand where Williams... I mean, Williams were really awful last year, no doubt. Now they've got, you know, a, a car that's more respectable. And given that they've got, you know, closer to engine parity with the other with the teams they're competing with, they're now able to, you know, out-qualify them or race with them. So, you know, there's, there's quite a lot going on there. But, uh, you know, Ferrari seem to have lost an awful lot of engine performance over the winter, which is really quite... Uh, you know, it, it 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 just throws into perspective their performances from last year. That essentially their chassis failings would be masked by having an illegal powertrain. Yeah, and what is the double sting for that? Is all the rules are effectively frozen through twenty twenty one? How much are they going to be able to edge back Ferrari um, throughout this season and a half? Let's call it. Uh, before they can really legitimately go after making a properly competitive car again. I mean, how much is that going to hurt them for a season? I mean, because this is 2021 as well. Before we dive into that, I mean, what's been quite interesting is I was a bit nervous about having two races at the same track and that we basically have, you know, a, a, you know, a carbon copy race two to race one. But what we saw was quite a big difference in performance. And there were some factors there with the weather. But, but essentially, the teams and the way they performed actually changed quite significantly from race one to race two. And then we saw, you know, quite a reshuffling of the pecking order in Hungary. Um, and Ferrari were a lot more competitive in Hungary than anyone expected after their Styrian performance. So uh, I think that, that concern has proven to be unfounded. And so I'm looking forward to a double Silverstone header next. And, uh, um, and what, you know, people were literally writing Ferrari off after Styria with the performance being so poor, not qualifying, you know, in the top 10 or, or just getting into the top 10 and then taking each other out again at the first quarter, of the first, uh, second quarter, first lap. Well, that's just it. I don't feel like the Styrian Grand Prix was uh, all that terribly representative. It was more or less a poor qualifying in the rain. And then they were both taken out in the first third of the race, you know, one yeah, the, by the other. And the this shocking. time, I, I feel like it's, it, since this is brought up, it's very important. To me, this was fully Leclerc's fault. The, this Vettel, Vettel did not do anything wrong here. Vettel just got collected. No, no, it was Vettel's fault. He was in, he was in the way. Leclerc was trying, <laughs> trying to go through. And Vettel was right there in front of him. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's right. Vettel, Vettel should have uh, instantly teleported out of the way. Exactly. Um, no, I mean he, he held his hand up and and uh, you know took one on the chin for that one. Um, but I mean the fact that they were so uncompetitive in a wet qualifying just suggests how bad a shape they. Well, it looked like they were in really bad shape because usually you know wet wet conditions masks a lack of engine performance, um, and uh, you know they they were. They were out early, they ran some lap times, they looked like they were going to be competitive, and then they just tumbled down the order as everyone else got up to speed on the wet, in the wet conditions. It was pretty surprising to see them, what, 10th and 11th on the grid in conditions that should have suited them if they had a decent chassis. So, 
let me ask you. I mean, what what was what was the uh, what which of these first three three weekends in a row? Which one of which was your favorite? Well, I think I think the qualifying the qualifying from Styria was spellbounding. I mean, very, it was yeah, very good. Yeah, Hamilton's performance was exceptional, but you know, Verstappen was was absolutely going for it and you know exceeded the limit but you know it was it was fascinating to watch those two wet weather specialists uh, go at it um, and you know you saw some some interesting performances there and uh, and then I think both of the Austrian races the last laps and the reshuffling that was going on that Lando Norris was in the thick of really made both races very exciting I thought yeah because uh, you really couldn't tell who was going to finish where uh, Hungary was a little bit more processional but still quite interesting especially with the wet start so i thought they were three good races i mean the of course in austria in austria the first race um you know it looked like hamilton was going to dominate because he was quicker than botas through all the free practice sessions and then sure. his weekend started to unravel in qualifying <laughs> and then we had the tangle with albon uh which he got penalized for and to see you know mclaren uh being so savvy to that to get Norris within the five-second penalty so he got the podium was, was brilliant. I mean, that was really good fun. Well, and I think Norris, in it, it drove out of his mind. He was he, Norris was brilliant in Austria, both races. The fact that he finished third in the very first race and then went on to finish fifth, I think it was, uh, in the Styrian race. Yeah, fifth in the Styrian race. Both of those accomplishments happening in the last couple of laps was was massive driving on his on his part, and uh, you know things were a little bit more uh, uh, milk toast for him in Hungary, but to a certain extent that was only because he'd raised the bar so high for his uh, performances at in Austria. So I was I was quite impressed with how Lando Norris drove, how he carried himself, and uh, the fact that he was able to. Uh, Especially in the steering Grand Prix, get around uh, get around those folks the last couple of laps way did I thought was brilliant driving. Yeah, I mean he's been one of the standout performers from the first three races, isn't he? I mean even in Hungary where you know qualifying was so so, and then he was basically you know lower down the order throughout the race. I mean his battle with yeah, Leclerc he ended was, up finishing thirteenth, but that bat, that battle with Charles was was well worth uh, the price of admission, and then. And then I also, there was a very funny tweet that got sent out after the race showing him actually wrenching on his own car. <laughs> so he, they, he said basically after three, you know, three back-to-backs, he decided to give the mechanics a hand. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty unique, I think. I don't know many other F1 drivers who've lended their mechanics a hand. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's uh, proving to become, he's becoming a star. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I completely agree with that. And uh, what do you think about Ferrari? And there are circumstances. They're in. They, I mean, Ferrari. They have this ability to give. They keep the attention on them no matter what, because here they are a mid-pack team, effectively, and yet they're still being talked about as much as anyone because of all the drama that is going on within that team. The fact that Vettel's got this entire season where we don't know where he's going next year, and yet he's four times world champion. We have a lot of controversy around the performance that's going on. And then we have these teammates that obviously still don't have any love for each other. And are there going to be boiling over points? Is that going to be a regular occurrence? You know, there's a lot going on in that team. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, you know, they need to fundamentally rethink their approach, don't they? I mean, there's some comments going around that Bonotto's got too much on his plate. You know, he's leading the technical effort. He's having to get involved in all the, you know, the strategic um, team direction, commercial discussions, so on and so forth, right? That, you know, you need to, that job's too big for one individual. And uh, most of the other teams uh, have, you know, specialist technical directors, and then they have team team bosses. Um, and, you know, it's all fallen on his shoulders at Ferrari. And, and as talented as he seems to be, and as level-headed, it may be too much. Uh, and, you know, Ferrari clearly, uh, for whatever reason, have made a, you know, taken a misstep on the powertrain side. So they've got to try and catch back up there. And, 
and then there's a lot of problems on the chassis side. I mean, there's no doubt they've got two good drivers, but, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be doing well. I mean, they're currently fifth in the standings. Uh, it's hard, you know, it's hard to see them really getting much higher than fourth based on what we've seen from the competitive order. I mean, as long as the racing point is declared legal, which it looks like it will be based on, you know, people like Ross Braun's comments, uh, saying that, you know, they all copy each other. They've just, Racing Point's just done it better than everybody else. Uh, <laughs> then then why on earth, I don't see Ferrari beating beating Racing Point uh, or Red Bull or Mercedes. So their battle is really with Renault and McLaren. Wow. So, it's, yeah, it's going to be a tough season. I mean, Charles is clearly, I don't have a problem with that decision. I, I think it, it's odd for them to sign a driver so early in the season when, you know, most drivers are going are gonna to take a call from Ferrari at any point in the season. I don't think there was a need for, for them or McLaren to make such an early decision on Saints and Ricardo. I would have I uh, left that one till, till, you know, at least halfway through this curtailed season. Uh, so, you know, you've got a guy driving for himself now. Not, you know, he's not going to take team orders. Vettel is going to be in it for, for himself. He wants to drive next season. He's going to try and make himself look good, isn't he? So that might be trying to drive vehicle development that suits him more than Charles. It might be not sharing data. It might be trying to pull, you know, some of the team over to his way of thinking. You know, it's disruptive. It's not, it's not ideal yeah. in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, yet the, the respectful side of it is it does give him more time to try to find another ride. I think that there is a double-edged sword to that because seats are already drying up quickly. He has an opportunity to try to snag one. And he has a better opportunity doing that now than he would have done if decisions were made later on. But what's weird about it was that Bonato, since you mentioned him earlier, his assertion that Vettel was a very high priority for the Ferrari team, you know, in the original preseason of the 2020 season, and to go from that to, uh, well, actually, he's gone. That was a dramatic shift. It was rather shocking. But it does beg the question, I mean, the rumors are starting to swirly, swirl around about him being a part of what will be the Aston Martin racing team. What do you think of that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, Perez drove a brilliant race in Styria. I mean, he was very unlucky not to get... Uh, I mean, he should have had, what, fourth place? Um, well, I Stroll mean, did get fourth place in Hungary. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Perez started 17th in a dry race and basically just drove through the field and, and was you know, significantly faster than Albon, who's in arguably the second best car on the grid. So I think, you know, you give up Perez and his, you know, he's been a mainstay of the midfield, you know, definitely a, a decent performer, brings money to the team. And you're ch turning that in for Vettel, who, you know, his racecraft has been debatable for at least two seasons, won't bring any money. In fact, will cost you a lot of money. I mean, let's be serious. Aston Martin aren't bringing a lot of cash to the table. It's just a rebranding exercise because uh, yeah, well, they're not Lawrence bringing Stroll any. Both. They're <laughs> right. not bringing any cash to the table. So why would you why would you make a thirty million dollar you know whatever that whatever Vettel costs these days hole in your budget plus plus what you're losing from Perez going to another team? I mean, other other midfield teams are going to fall over themselves to get Perez in their car and, and have his money. Right, so Alpha Tori, maybe uh, Alpha Romeo, potentially uh, could all be, um, or has. In fact, his name's been closely associated with has. Has are already on the verge of quitting F1. So hey, bring a bring a decent driver who probably is, I would say, probably an upgrade on Grosjean and a lot of money. Yes, please. So I don't know. I don't, I don't see what's what's in it for Aston Martin to sign Vettel. Really don't. At the same time, do, do you think that? Well, I mean, it's fascinating to see. Uh, there was this interesting interview that I saw just today on YouTube, uh, and I shared it on Facebook, between Martin Brundle and uh, Sebastian Vettel. And none of these things came up. He, Vettel, seems to be talking in very vague terms about he wants to race, but he doesn't know what the future brings. It seems to me, based on where Vettel's attitude is 
he is hoping that something can free up so that he could be like in the Mercedes in 2022 or something along those lines. He seems to really feel like it's got to be a top team or nothing. That's the vibe I was getting from him. At the same time, the itch to stay current, to stay relevant in the F1 grid, I think that pulls pretty strong. I think if someone offers him a decent contract, I, I my guess is he's going to have a hard time turning it down. I mean, it's been interesting to see some of the, you know, there was, during the Austrian races, you know, there was some association between Vettel and the second seat uh, at Red Bull. And um, that was absolutely refuted by Christian Horner. Um, even, <laughs> even Max said... Uh, Albon's doing a good job. Why would we? Do, why would we switch him? Yeah. So uh, that, that doesn't. You know, if you look at the comparison between Alonso and Vettel, right? Alonso, two-time world champion, uh, difficult individual, has 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 caused trouble at a, a number of teams he's been at. But yet, you know, his stock as a racing driver was still very, very high. I think everyone. Yes. Agrees that he's still a class act, and if you put him in in your car, you know he's going to extract the maximum from it. I don't think there's that same feeling with Vettel anymore. I think there's still an a, a, you know an acknowledgement that he may have good single lap pace, and on his day in the right car, he can still probably deliver a decent result. But I think essentially the feeling is that you know he's on the decline. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that there was some sense of. How much of it was Vettel's talent and how much of it was his luck that got him to those four championships in the Red Bull? And what I mean by that is not not so much that people think that his stock is declining. Is I think it seems like more and more people are starting to think that perhaps it was overinflated in the first place. Well, funny enough, I mean, Hamilton and Alonso never really rated him anyway when he was winning his four titles, right? They always said, well, I think anybody, anyone could win it in that car. I mean, I think that's a little bit hard on him. Vettel had a particular way of driving that car, out-qualifying you know, everyone, including his teammate, and then just driving off into the distance and controlling the race, and it worked for him. And I think you can't really take four championships away from someone. But I do think that there's a, there's a, there's a groundswell of opinion that suggests that another driver like a Hamilton or an Alonso in the Ferrari in certainly 2018 would have had a much better chance of winning it than Vettel did because he mm-hmm. just made too many too many mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, and I totally it's hard to argue with that fact. It, he simply uh was all over the place, but I mean, do you think he's going to be on the grid in 2021? No. No, I don't. I don't see him I don't see him wanting to do a, a Kimi Raikkonen and drive, you know, an Alfa Romeo. I don't really know why Kimi wants to do that, to be honest. I, I don't see him getting in at Mercedes either, either next year or, or in the future. I mean, I think they're much more interested if they are going to replace one of the two to take someone like a George Russell. Uh, why would you, why, you know, why would you pay a lot for a Vettel when you've got someone like, you know, a Russell or a Junior that looks like they deserve the seat? And I think they'll be much more open-minded to go that way than... His best hope, I think, is to is to hold his ground, as you suggested, wait until there's a top seat available and see what happens, you know, in, in on the grid. And maybe one through through some mysterious twist of fate, you know, a seat opens up and a team becomes desperate and are interested in him. Um, <laughs> I just just the fact that you use the word desperate <laughs> <laughs> as the qualifier that would get Vettel a seat. That to me is a, a telling on its own. Well, I mean, I, I mean, actually, why is Alonso going back to Renault? Do you see any hope there? I don't. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I think that Alonso is way more toxic than Vettel is, and that Vettel going to Renault would have been a much better bet, in my own person. Yes, Vettel makes mistakes, but Alonso like erodes teams from the inside. <laughs> Right. I mean, think about Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari got Alonso in 2010. Yeah, they'd won the world championship in 2007. They'd nearly done it again in 2008, and uh, they were still right up at the front in 2009 and 2010. 
boy, you look at the team from 2010. Yeah, there were some close championship runs there, certainly. But the way they were going through team principals, the way they were going through technical directors and all those different things. I mean, it's it's and now the team is still really hurting. I don't know. It's a. I I've I, I I'm not I'm not this is I'm taking this way too far now. It is not I'm not suggesting that Alonso is wholly responsible for everything that's wrong with Ferrari. But my point is is that Alonso is an unsettling figure in a team. If you look at the way he handled things at McLaren, if you look at the way he handled things at Ferrari, it's and then McLaren again a second time. It's just a uh, to me, it's like I, I don't know if any amount of speed is worth it. How many races in 2021 are we going to get through before he starts throwing his toys out of the pram? It's not going to take many. I mean, if, if he'd been in the car for these past three races, I think we'd, he'd be very dissatisfied. And they really didn't look competitive at all, did they? I mean, what, what have we got? Ocon qualified fifth in Styria, but he hasn't really performed very well in any other races yeah. or qualifying sessions. Ricardo is... You know, I mean, he's doing all right, but he's not. I mean, they're at the back of the midfield. Yeah, well, he finished. The, Ricardo refinished. Ricardo refinished eighth in Hungary. Yeah. So you know, nothing, nothing, overly impressive. Uh, Renault is currently sixth in the drivers' championship, A behind twelve Ferrari. points. <laughs> yeah, with twelve points compared to Mercedes, one hundred and twenty-one. The top um, Renault driver is uh, Daniel Ricciardo in 11th in the championship with eight points. So, yeah, and they seem to have a much stricter idea of what is a reasonable budget to spend on a Formula One team compared to Mercedes and Ferrari and Red Bull, who are willing to put in big, big money. So I don't think it's going to be a, a slow... I don't think it's going to be a quick ascension to the top for Renault. No, and I think the budget cap is only going to make it harder for them. I mean, they're, they're trying to catch up with the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull. And now they have to fit the new, the budget limit for next season uh, while going through, a, you know, preparing for a change in regulations for 22. I just don't see them capable of, of managing or organizing themselves in such a way that they're going to come out with a more competitive card than everyone else. I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Now, there are some positives, though. <laughs> okay. Alonzo is brilliant to watch. He certainly says things that are interesting and it does stir the pot. So for Formula One fans, such as ourselves, this is, mo- this is you know, for the good. Oh, and, I agree. Yeah, and, it's good to uh, have him back. And so I'm happy for that. I think... I think it'll be fun to see how Ocon competes against Alonso. I think that he will have oh, a... Uh, I'm willing to place a big wager on that. It's going to be... Uh, what are we going to have next season? 21 races? 21-0 to Alonso. Oh, you think it's going to be that uh, Landslide. It's going to kill Ocon's career. He's done, I think. That's my prediction. See, now, I um, I don't think it'll be quite so bad. But uh, I, my gin budget's pretty much cash, so we'll have to work on, <laughs> we'll have to work on the wager here a little bit. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll noodle that for a bit. Well, he's not looking that clever against Danny, is he? Let's be serious. It's true, but you know, Ricardo's no slouch here. No, he's a good, he's a very good driver. I rate him very highly. But uh, you know, so I, I didn't really think Ocon deserved to be brought back, did he? I thought there was a reason why he was sat out for a season. Why is he brought him back? We've we've had this debate uh, before. <laughs> I I certainly I certainly rate Ocon higher than you do. I know that much. Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, there's there's no gin. There's no gin. Listen, we're we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to drink that gin before uh, I could I will. before you convince me to wager another bottle. Uh, to be fair, maybe I'm being harsh. He hasn't hit Perez or Ricardo since he's been back. Three races. That's, there you go. Yeah. Three yeah. races in a in three weekends, no doubt. So <laughs> and he hasn't that, hit anyone. Yeah, so, okay, maybe I'm being harsh. Yeah, they, they, see, there you go. Your your standards are too high. Uh, but uh, it, it is fascinating because you did mention, you know, so we've got this really interesting drivers market going on: Carlos Sainz to Ferrari and Ricardo to McLaren. Now, 
I'm the people. I think a little bit too quickly started speaking of McLaren's resurgence. I feel like they've had some decent results, but I don't think I see a top three team here. I think I see a, a high level mid pack team in McLaren this season, like a fourth or fifth in the championship. But some people are talking top three, and I, I just do not see that. Well, I mean, after the first two races, it it looked like they could be genuine contenders, didn't it? But uh, but yeah, Hungary was a bit of a wake up call uh, that they're maybe not as competitive as they thought they were. But that's and, entirely and, my point. Mm-hmm. You do two Grand Prix at one racetrack, you can't just judge. You know what I mean? Like uh, people were a little bit too quick to say, "Ah, oh, McLaren, look how quick they are," because they were. Uh, they were second in the championship, I think, after the two Austri- Austrian races. They were second in the constructors. Yeah. It's like, well, that's job done. McLaren's the top team again. It's like, eh, pump your brakes. There's, a, there's, there's still, there's still plenty of room to grow. Yeah, but conversely, the counterpoint to that is Hungary's quite a unique track, isn't it? We're not going. There's no Monaco this season, um, so we'll go back to more normal, normal tracks with more high and medium speed corners that might suit the McLaren better. So I don't think Hungary is a good reflection on what we're likely to see for the rest of the season. I think maybe Austria is a better reflection. So that, that's where I'm, I'm hoping that they'll still be, they'll, they'll be more competitive. But I think the, the, the tricky one to tell is racing point because the first Grand Prix, they didn't look that quick. They looked, they looked fast, but now they look genuinely fast. I mean, yeah. so that's a problem for everybody, including Red Bull. I mean, Mercedes can obviously tell them to get out of the way if they do find themselves in front. <laughs> Otherwise, they can stop supplying them with brake duct designs. But uh, um, Yeah, but otherwise they might not trouble. have accidents with their recycling machine <laughs> or right. whatever. Stop so. emailing them all the designs that they've developed. But, uh, right, exactly. But, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. McLaren haven't made it yet. But they're certainly – the good thing is is that they're, they're still on an upward trajectory, whereas you'd say Renault are probably plateaued and maybe actually are in decline. Yeah. And Ferrari are certainly on the way down. Uh, but McLaren on the way up, I think. Do, do you think that Ricardo made the correct decision to go to McLaren? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think Renault – I'd never really understood why he went to Renault. I think that was just a falling out with – Red Bull, it was like, I, I don't know why you, you've picked Verstappen over me and you're prioritizing over me, so I'm going to leave. Yeah. He, took the, he took the payday and left, but that was, a, that was a mistake. I think McLaren's probably a better choice for him. So I'm, I'm a little less certain of that. I, I don't think it – I Red Bull tends to – they tend to dig their heels in, and once they prefer a driver, that's kind of it. And – I think that Ricardo correctly saw the writing on the wall with Verstappen and also knew the history of Mark Webber with Vettel in those days and said, I'm not going to get stuck in that. I do not want to become the second Australian in a row to go down that path. So I think he got out of it. He kept his status as a lead driver, and now he can go to McLaren, which you know I think Lando Norris is going to be plenty competitive, but... I think that he can go to McLaren with uh, more uh, more of a driver profile, more status than he may have done if he was kind of pushed into the number two driver corner at Red Bull, which I think could have been an entirely could have been a possibility. I, I agree with everything that you just said. I'm still perplexed, though, why the Ferrari seat wasn't made available to him, other than Ferrari management deciding that they want to have a number one and a number two driver and that Danny wasn't going to accept that. So, therefore, it wasn't really a viable seat. But to me, he would have been the perfect replacement for Vettel if you've decided Vettel's time was up, which they clearly did. Why you would take Carlos over Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, Carlos had a good season last year, but I don't rate him as highly as Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, I think I agree with all of that. Except for, I'm curious, I think you're right that they are seeing, they've got all their stock in Leclerc, and they're seeing a number one and number two driver arrangement in their minds. I'm a bit surprised that Signs was like, I'm sure he saw that. And Signs was like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. Is Signs really that pragmatic? Because from a pragmatic, the prag, the pragmatist in me is like, so you're with the most famous racing brand in the world. You get access to Ferraris to drive all the time. You get paid really well by Ferrari. You get all the perks of being a Ferrari driver 
yeah, take that. Who cares? So you're, you're number two driver instead of number one. So you're going to win less often. And you're going to maybe you're going to surprise them with your actual speed. But at the same time, when it comes to racing drivers' egos, that can be an extremely bruising thing to be rock solid. You are the number two driver. More to the point is not only does it set you at, at a different status than it would have otherwise, it also the lead drivers are given the incentive. They're given all the advantages to go quicker as well. So it makes you harder to really it makes it harder to really show your speed. And Carlos is still on the young side of his. He's still in the first half of his career, in theory at least. And it seems like he might be taking that leap to number two status a little bit too early before giving himself the chance to really prove himself. Yeah, I, I agree with, with that. I mean, maybe, though, if he's going to get blown away by Norris this year in the McLaren, it was a good decision. <laughs> I mean, because right well, now he's looking like a number two at McLaren, isn't he? And but behaving see, like I mean, one. He was, he was, you know, he, he, was, he didn't have the standout Landis... Lando Norris's last couple of laps, but I mean, he's been right there. I mean, Lando finished third in the first race. Carlos was fifth. He wasn't that far behind. Uh, in the second race, Lando finished fifth. Carlos was uh, ninth, so he was a little bit farther down. And then yeah, Car- Carlos started third in that race. Was and he that high? He, yeah, and I mean, okay, they bungled his pit stop. But his pace after that pit stop was pretty poor, and he was quite happy to move aside for uh, for Lando. I mean, no, he, played the, he played the the team game there, which was great. But but you know, it was only when he put a new set of softs right at the end of the race that he started, you know, get, getting decent lap times in. So, but he I finished well ahead of Lando in Hungary. Well, yeah, but they were both faffing around the outside of the top ten, weren't they? I mean, he just scraped into ninth after Magnussen got a penalty. Yeah. Not exactly a stellar weekend for either of them. But, I mean, you know, on balance, I'd say Norris has had the stronger of the first three races, which, you know, a lot of people looked at the battle between them in qualifying last year and were surprised how well Norris did against him and that generally Sainz had the stronger races. Well, now it looks like, you know, Norris has upped his game in the races too. So it's putting them under quite a bit of pressure. Anyway, I mean, the point is, is that you get to the end of this season, and if Norris has comprehensively outqualified him and outraced him, Ferrari would sort of be <laughs> rethinking their strategy to sign him, wouldn't they? Yeah. I, I guess, you know, going back to teams that have surprised, I, I think the biggest surprise for me is probably Red Bull. I think we all expected Red Bull to be able to compete for race wins, especially around tracks that historically have favoured them. I mean, there were a lot of people saying that the short truncated season starting with these three races we could have had Verstappen with three wins instead we've had a double DNF we've had a third place and a second place and the Hungary second place was a might fortuitous so ah, that's really disappointing and we still have this bizarre situation where the second driver is well off the pace of the lead driver Mm -hmm. and nobody can quite understand it and uh you know you look at gasly gasly's putting some fine performances back in the alpha tory you know he's quick again he's blowing he's blowing kafiat away he's looking like a good driver again so what on <laughs> earth what, what on earth goes on when you're in the second seat of red bull it's a and it, you've got to say now you, you're, you're the second driver in that's had this issue it's starting to look like a team problem not a driver problem yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that Mark Webber certainly was not trying to be subtle about his displeasure with the way the team structure worked. It does seem to me that, you know, you have guys like Helmut Marco and uh, obviously Christian Horner must play a role in this as well, that once you've emotionally set been set as the head driver, everything falls in your direction in that place. And I think that's definitely what happened with Vettel, and that's what's happening with Verstappen, one hundred percent. I, I, I don't think, I don't think there's much subtlety to it at all. But it's all behind the scenes, so there's no one thing that I can point to and be like, see, because of that. But I think that being a number one driver at Red Bull is much, is 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 definitely something that makes it easier to be to remain the number one driver. I mean, here's the shocking thing: so Verstappen qualified seventh in Hungary. He was slower than he was last year. 
I mean, does that make sense to you? They've got slower. Now, we understand that Ferrari have got slower because they had their engine advantage taken away, but you would expect the Honda has improved and you would expect that their chassis should have improved. Yeah. And and they're slower than the 2019 version. That is odd. There's something there's something wrong with their development process and that car at the moment. And, you know, Horner is admitting that. Um but it's a worry for those of us who want to see a competitive championship that's not just between Hamilton and Bottas, right? I mean, we would like to see the odd other team fighting for a win. Um, and, you know, Red Bull with that hope this season. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah, but we are, in, we, we are in a bizarre set of circumstances with uh, the summer break being at the very beginning of the year and uh, a much truncated season that still has a lot of question marks around it. It's um, it's it's hard to really look at this season versus last year as apples to apples. To me, there's enough variables going on that this whole exercise it's a matter of survival as much as it is anything else. You know what could be developed and and what can't, and how everyone's budgets are, cash flow, et cetera, et cetera. All those things have to be playing roles that we don't see in the surface. Obviously, Red Bull is amongst the best-funded teams out there, and probably uh, their funding is as secure as any Formula One team out there as well. But that doesn't mean they're immune to these pressures. Well, no, I, I agree, but it does seem mysterious that they don't—they've lost pace. I mean, it was interesting to me how much pressure Albon came under almost immediately. So you know, he was pretty unlucky. You know, some were suggesting he could have won the first Grand Prix in Austria because, you know, he, he took the extra set of tyres at the final safety car. Yeah. Should really have passed Lewis. Um, got tagged, right? But if he hadn't been, um, you know, he was ready to chase down Botas. He wasn't exactly setting the world alight at that at that moment. And then, you know, he obviously didn't get the, didn't get the podium, didn't get the win. Um, and he's somewhat off for Staffan's pace. And the next thing, you know, critics are saying... You know, why is he in that car? You put someone else in. And that that seems, you know, given the context of anything else we just said, it seems odd that he should be immediately singled out three races into the season uh, when there's clearly other problems going on. He needs a bit more time. But I do agree that if they can't sort that out, they've got to keep rotating drivers through there until hopefully they, they find Verstappen's doppelganger somewhere. <laughs> Masquerading maybe as Sebastian Vettel, who knows? But yeah, it, <laughs> it's not it, Sebastian Vettel; it's Sebastian <laughs> Settle. That's new rookie we found. What do you think about these? Speaking of these performances, Botas seems to be kind of going through a repeat of seasons of his old age, where he comes on really strong, has a great start to the season, but then it's a small roadblock, and it, it seems to maybe unsettle him more than others. His race start in Hungary got botched. There were some weird things going on with lights going off on his wheel that led him to react incorrectly. Do you think he should have gotten back to second place? It's Mercedes seemed to have standout performance. Are they going to look down upon Botas for not getting all the way back up to second and it being a 1-3 instead of a 1-2? And, I mean, how secure is Botas' seat in the future? Well, I mean, I... <laughs> It's funny you should ask that that question because I was going to ask you if you thought he had a chance of winning the title, but the fact that you've <laughs> posed that question tells me what I need to know, right? I mean, I don't think either of us believe he can sustain a, a title challenge with Hamilton. I mean, I think he was lucky to win in win the first race, yeah, because Hamilton was far quicker in 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 race configuration, in racing trim. Absolutely, yeah. he was. Yeah, absolutely. Hamilton just had no luck at all and no brakes, and and then of course they were told to not use the curbs, and then they had, we had safety car after safety car, and that basically bailed Botas out. I mean, but his qualifying lap was extraordinary. I give him credit for out qualifying Lewis. His qualifying pace seems to be stronger than his race pace, and that's consistent with his form in in prior seasons too. And I don't think that's going to get it done. You can't just hope to out-qualify Hamilton and then hold him off for the Grand Prix. You know, he demonstrated at Silverstone last year, he can make his tyres last longer and he'll, he'll jump you at the pit stops. So you've got to find more fundamental pace in either quality or race, race trim. And he just doesn't seem to have it. What's your takeaway from these th first three events? 
Uh, obviously, I think there is a big relief that Formula One is, in fact, happening, that we are getting motors. We are having motorsport. They do generally seem to be taking a responsible approach to the pandemic and social distancing and everything like that. Their little automatic trophy delivering machines are really silly, but whatever. Um, <laughs> But what is your overall takeaway of what Formula One's doing in 2020? Look, I mean, my I was so ready for any sort of live sport. You know, it was a really depressing few months. I mean, I went back through the annals of, of Formula One and other sports to keep myself entertained. But, you know, there's nothing quite like live, live motor racing or other sports. And it's fabulous. It's back. Uh, it's a shame that it's a Mercedes domination again, because I think, unfortunately, that's going to turn a few people off. But I think overall, the product and the sport itself seems to be doing all right. I mean, I think I, I've been entertained by the three races. I'm looking forward to the, the next one. I'm glad they're adding more uh, Grand Prix to the series that, you know, they've announced a couple more, haven't they? And so it looks like we've got at least 12 races confirmed and probably a few more on their way. Um, I, I think... I think it's, you know, it looks like the concern over losing a few teams now that we're back up and running again might have receded. Um, so overall, I, I mean, I'm pretty happy with, with, with how things are coming. And uh, fingers crossed, hopefully one of those teams is, in fact, Williams. Uh, you know, that there was some real fear going on. Um, I think that was getting into May, early June, about the... Uh, longevity of Williams if they're trying to sell off, but they seem to that that's quieted down and they seem to be more con- competitive than they were last year at the very least. Well, they are seeking new funding. Right? Yes, and oh that, certainly, that's yeah, not and, gone. But yeah, and the rumor is that the TV's dad is going to buy, so we're going to have two wealthy Canadian-owned teams or partially-owned teams. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, whether it's a overall takeover or or a large you know shareholding that's that's negotiated, you know, I think that there needs to be some fresh thinking and some reinvigoration at Williams uh, to help them get back to where they belong. Um, so, I, and, you know, what Claire Williams has been saying is this is the perfect opportunity to set the team up for success when, when the rules are changed and the funding limits are imposed. But I will, uh, just just to digress a little bit, I did listen to a really good podcast uh, I should, probably shouldn't admit this on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> with, uh, what's his name? Um, it's, it's called uh, Engineers Series. It's by Motorsport Magazine, and they had a former Williams engineer, uh, well, other teams too. Uh, uh, his name was Rory, I think. Uh, no, Frank Dern. Frank Derny mm. was his name. And he's a quite a forthright individual, and he speaks his mind. He had some fantastic things to say about Nigel Mansell. But the point he was making was that this whole salary cap is ridiculous because it excludes the driver um, and the team principal. So what he was suggesting was that you could start to transfer key personnel from the team that, that work with the driver. So his race engineer could be transferred to Lewis, for example, in Mercedes, and then Lewis could pay that race engineer out of whatever compensation he negotiates from Mercedes. And so basically you you circumvent the salary cap by transferring staff back and forth between the team principal, the driver, and the team itself. And he's, huh. got, he's got quite a point. But let's assume for a second that, that the teams don't do that and play you know unfairly. You know, if Williams can get a good budget in place, get themselves reorganized, get some of the technical issues uh, uh, resolved, and it looks like they're definitely making progress, then I think we can hold on to them and hopefully they have a long future in Formula One. Yeah, uh, that's certainly my hope as well. And what do you think uh, about the... What are you going to be looking for for the upcoming uh, British Grand Prix doubleheader? I will hope that uh, that it is a little closer than than we've had so far, that we can have maybe Red Bull, that would be a Red Bull track, potentially, um, and that they could take the fight to, to Mercedes. I think that would be great if we could really see, you know, a Verstappen-Hamilton fight through the rest of the year. Of the year. Um, that would be awesome. But, I mean, I think the midfield is more than entertaining, actually. I mean, it is, <laughs> you've got four or five teams there 
that are going hammer and tongs at each other. And, uh, and you know, we're seeing good track action. So it's great. If, I mean, if you basically took the Mercedes out, you'd have a fabulous, you know, competitive season, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, those pesky Mercedes with their pesky drivers. Uh, that's, uh, that's, the only, that's the only problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it should be good. I mean, I no, you know, Silverstone's not the easiest place to overtake, but we have had some good races. And last year was a great battle between Hamilton and Botas. And uh, so I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I always like going to Silverstone. Yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to see if, uh, you know, any interesting weather is thrown uh, that way. But certainly the weather thrown at Austria and at Hungary made, uh, helped make the races more interesting. So I'm not opposed to that. Uh, by any stretch, but I agree with you. I think it's been a lovely, lovely start to the season, considering um, all the things we've gone through. What we've we've been delivered some really uh, genuine, entertaining, and exciting racing, and I just appreciate it so deeply. Um, so uh, I just I I, I want to say that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I want to just touch on Has for a second because obviously oh, please, the US, US US team, right? And they they seem to be struggling with their lower powered Ferrari uh, engine but the I thought their decision to pit both drivers on the lap up to the grid formation was inspired and they were looking really strong through you know halfway through the race where they were still top top six both of them and they sort of fell away from there but it sort of struck me why didn't more teams make that call and what's fascinating to me is is that it was the team decision, not the driver decision. And you can't do that. Did you know that? I didn't know this rule, that the team can't tell the driver what to do on that, on that installation lap. It has, huh. to be, it has to be a driver decision. And not a single driver had the wherewithal to realise that they could switch to slicks. Because if any one of them had done it, they would have had the similar advantage. I mean, it was a massive advantage at the start of that race to start yeah. to back on, on the slick tyres. Yeah. Um, but that's why they both got penalised because it was Gunters or someone on the team wall that told them to come in and pit, and you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A weird, weird quirk of the rules, I thought. But uh, no, some some quick thinking there by Has, even though it was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did want to uh, give one sort of, uh, I guess it would be called like a shout out. We were given an award of sorts, uh, listed as one of the top automotive podcasts of uh, 2019 by this uh, by this website called um, uh, carmoney.co.uk I just wanted to thank them for the shout out uh, for fun with cars that we were they were on their list of top automotive podcasts in 2019 so that was a fun little thing so thank you to those guys for that and uh, on that note, I would also like to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, boy, Chris, this is we had races to talk about. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Okay.